It's March 4th, 2021, and you're listening to the Architecture Geeks podcast. I'm Larry. And I'm Matthew. And we're your friendly neighborhood architects being geeky as we want to be. Welcome back, everyone. We hope you enjoyed or have been enjoying the international series of podcasts. That sounds weird. The International Series of Podcasts. I want to say the International House of Pancakes, but the uh, the International Series of Podcasts so far. I feel like we got a different perspective coming out of London on our last international podcast um, during their fight to contain what's become a dangerous new variant of the coronavirus and how that's really impacting the practice of architecture over there. We'd like to give another shout out to Phil Coffey of Coffee Architects for talking to us about that. And while we will be picking up the International Series next week when we start exploring unique hotel stays from around the world, today we wanted to explore something that's maybe a little closer to home and something that's been a little bit of a positive impact, um, well, impact of the pandemic in everyday life, and that would be talking to you about streets. Yeah, if if you look at every post-apocalyptic movie or TV poster from The Walking Dead to... I am legend or, or Mad Max, the way that all of these posters and visuals convince you that this is a pandemic movie or a post apocalyptic movie is, is your view of the surrounding streets. And usually this view is accompanied by cars stacked up on the side of the road with some trash and other debris caught in between these abandoned cars. And there's, there's a slight breeze blowing dust and old newspapers in the background. The imagery is, is really universal when it comes to these types of movies, but it's all centered around ordinary city streets. And while we may be going through a real life p- pandemic right now, I'm happy to report that our streets have become an important sign of the times, just like in, in the movies and TV shows have advertised. But instead of being a sign of the collapse of civilization, they've actually become a source of life and community as the pandemic forces people to rediscover their neighborhoods because of travel restrictions and, and lockdowns and current restrictions on restaurants, bars, and, and indoor public gatherings. Many neighborhoods in cities all over the U.S. have really had to get creative on how to keep people engaged in the local economy, and those efforts have spilled out onto the streets. Well, even here in Dallas, it's it's been interesting because in Deep Ellum, you see a lot of the parallel parking, and, and Deep Ellum is, is just east of downtown, and there's all this parallel parking that's that typically, because, <laughs> because there's not been great parking in, in Deep Ellum anyway, that's another another podcast. So all this parallel parking in front of the bars and restaurants has been transformed into what is outdoor seating for patrons because, of course, obviously, there's been a lot of restrictions on what you can, how many people can actually eat inside a restaurant. And in New York City, there are certain streets in, in the boroughs that have either been shut down or reduced to single lane traffic just to expand public parks or just to give residents the pedestrians and bicyclists, more socially distanced room in the public right-of-way. In fact, New York actually seated back something like 83 miles total of city streets back to the borough so that they could do these sorts of things. And a lot of people are trying to figure out, how do we make the changes permanent, even though the pandemic may be passing? How do we, how do we make those things last so that we are maybe perhaps better connected to the community and not so separated by simple things like cars. 
So today we're going to be talking about the streets of the pandemic and this greater push to sort of return our public roads to the people and to prioritize prioritize pedestrians over cars in the very public right-of-way. And to do that, we're going to start with a brief history of how people ceded public streets to cars in the first place. And we're going to tell you that because that's really, it's the geeky part, (laughs) I guess, of the podcast, really. Then we're going to look at how streets have transformed into smaller community centers, not just during the current pandemic, but in, in the time and the years actually leading up to the pandemic in primarily New York, because this is this is what's driven a little bit of this podcast, and we'll get into that. But also here in Dallas, because there's been a lot of change in, in and around Dallas to where we're starting to try to get the community better connected. And then we're going to end up with our personal take on how if it was up to us, how would we implement giving streets back to pedestrians? And and to start off, we'll preface this with a little bit of background history, because most people today assume that cars have always owned city streets. But honestly, that's just because we don't have anyone alive to tell us otherwise. But if you go back and look at photos in, in major cities around the US before World War One and the Spanish flu pandemic, you can see that streets were full of people. They were full of horse and buggy type transportation. And, and there were shops that extended past the sidewalk into the street. They were, they were full of life and business and manure. <laughs> Fun fact, New York City had over 100,000 horses on the street in 1900 and two and a half million pounds of manure to go with those horses. However, the invention of the car really changed the landscape of city streets for both the good and the bad. Cars did solve the manure problem that, that cities were having, but because they were a relatively new technology, there were also many deaths due to a, a flood of inexperienced new drivers that entered the streets with the advent of the Model T. Early on, the public was very against sharing the roads with cars, given the culture around streets was shaped with kids playing in the streets. There were vendors selling out of push carts and and pedestrians going wherever they liked in the streets. Cars were seen as, as dangerous interlopers that were incredibly harmful to the, the current way of life. However, because cars gained popularity so quickly, they soon started taking over streets as the dominant mode of transportation in the early 1900s. But two things really pushed people off the streets for good at this point. The first was the, the Spanish flu pandemic of 1918. There were lockdowns, mask mandates, and public gathering restrictions. Stop me if any of this sounds familiar to you. <laughs> uh, but couple that with the advent of, of World War One, and there were just quite a few less people on the streets. And the second thing that happened was that as the U.S. emerged from both the war and the flu pandemic, car manufacturers really started aggressively pushing back against the idea that roads were open to the public. As we mentioned before, there was a, there was a very rich culture of 
of, of people being in the streets. And, and so the general public had actually been pushing back for more regulations on cars due to the general outcry against car deaths. So when people vacated the streets due to the pandemic and war, car manufacturers really saw an opportunity to fill the void and change the legal definition of a street so that pedestrians would be the ones regulated out of the roads instead of cars. So there was a coordinated campaign by car manufacturers and salespeople that went state by state across the country campaigning for pushing people out of the streets and making streets the exclusive territory of cars. And that's where we are today. People are only legally allowed to cross at crosswalks. And if you're in the street for any length of time as a pedestrian, people will just stare, stare at you like you don't really belong there. Nowadays, if you're in the street for any long period of time, you're probably actually going to get run over. I, I had no idea that that was really a thing that, that, it had been the car manufacturers who'd really been pushing for this, but I can see that making sense because, well, and, and think about it, Model Ts didn't go very fast back in the day, you know, by comparison to, to what cars will do now, nor were they nearly as heavy. So I can just imagine, I can imagine if people were still in the street as much, just how <laughs> how bad that could be. But, but you know, the part of this really, what we wanted to talk about was has been driven by this idea that that people really are becoming more familiar with their neighborhoods, that they're more aware of, of the street within the urban environment. Just, just from, you know, as I mentioned before, in, in, my own, in my own neighborhood, we've walked around a lot more than we ever have in the past, so we've become much more familiar with it. So luckily for us, we're, we're more in a suburbanish kind of setting, even though we're technically not the suburbs. I'm sure at one point we were but not technically the suburbs, but we certainly aren't part of the urban core. And when I read this article in the New York Times about New York really letting go of, like I said, there's 83 miles of streets within the, uh, not within Manhattan, but within all the boroughs that they had ceded to the neighborhoods and said, okay, here's something that you can do with to to provide better space for you, to buy, provide a better better community, a better neighborhood for you. And what that meant was that there was a lot less traffic on the streets. There were more pedestrians. It became safer for cyclists. And one of the big things they did at the time was to provide outdoor seating for restaurants that had been hampered by indoor seating restrictions. The problem they're having now, though, is that the citizens of New York are really not wanting to give those parts of the streets back. They've gotten used to having restricted traffic that's only going one way and not wanting to really give up the other lane because there are places where they are better connected to their community by by restricting that traffic and by having a little more green space and a little more space for outdoor activity. But the funny thing is, is if you read all of this, if you read all of the, the talk in the neighborhoods about what's been so important and about why this has been so great, it all comes down to people being interested in really three things, keeping the one-way traffic, they want public restrooms, and the biggest thing that they want, honestly, is more greenery. So they have that bigger green space to play with and to interact with. And, And to some extent, we have been able to do some of that here in Dallas, not not 
currently, because, well, you know, we, we aren't nearly as restrictive as, as other parts of the country, but it's stuff that we've actually been doing in the past that has been happening, as we mentioned, has been happening probably over the last decade. Yeah, the first thing that comes to my mind is is Clyde Warren Park. It was built over an existing freeway that connected the arts district with Uptown. And what they've been able to do is create a massive public park on the edge of downtown, which really wasn't known for their downtown parks. And it's become an incredibly successful place. Uh, Last time I checked, it was on every top 10 list of things to do in the city of Dallas. And and it's just been a, a huge draw for for people and and for tourists and and they're they've actually there's plans to expand it even but that's only happened in the last 15 years or so it's i would i would i would like to think it was pandemic driven but I, I, we can't associate it that but well I, th- I think people there was really that feel of a need to be able to to create that space you know at as we said, that's there wasn't there weren't a lot of parks in, in downtown Dallas. And more specifically, the the freeway that it covers actually really split downtown from the uptown area. So you had these two very developed areas that were very not simpatico. I mean they, they just really there wasn't really connection between the two. So you, it's almost it's almost like traveling to a different part of the city in a lot of ways because you're having to cross this major freeway to get there. And by creating that and connecting that to the arts district, they were really able to sort of bring those two areas together. One of the other things that happened here is they created, there was a um, bridge called the Continental Street. It was a Continental Bridge, really. But it it went from downtown on one side of the Trinity River on, on the levee to the west part of Dallas. And it was old and it did you know, it's one of those things that just couldn't take them out of traffic. So when they built the new bridges, the I think it was the Margaret Hunt Hill Bridge was the first one that actually that's right, the Margaret Hunt Hill Bridge was the first one that, that extended from downtown across into West Dallas. They were able to actually take the Continental Bridge and really create a pedestrian bridge out of it. It became the Ronald Kirk Pedestrian Bridge. And so you now have this walkable space to go from just just on the other side of the Trinity, all the way down to Trinity Groves, which is a, a big restaurant development just on the west side of Dallas. So they were able to really do this. And, and it's something that I, I'm not sure why it took us so long to figure out because other cities have been doing it. If you've ever been to Denver, there's the 16th Street Mall, which is a mile and a quarter long. And the only thing it is open to traffic-wise is the mall shuttle. So you can't drive a car down it. But they do have these buses that will take you down along along the mall so you can hop on and hop, hop off without having to walk too much, I guess. But it was a chance to really, really give that area back to the restaurants and back to the pedestrians. And anyone who lived down there now had a really walkable space. And it really became this idea of an opportunity. It was this opportunity to give the streets back to the pedestrians. And for us, it becomes a question, if if we're going to keep doing this, how do we do this? Where do we do this? And what scale do we do this on? And as architects, we certainly have our own, own ideas. And I know, Matthew, you're thinking, if we're going to give the streets back, we need to do this at a, a sort of 
bigger scale. Yeah. If the question is, if I had complete control over rebuilding a city's public infrastructure, how would I do it? Well, (laughs) for Dallas, I would really continue an urban plan that started in the 1970s. And it was a fairly unpopular one because someone back then thought it would be a good idea to connect all of downtown with underground pedestrian tunnels and to shove all the people into those tunnels rather than to be out in the open. What I would love to do is take that idea and just reverse it. The city had such a huge success with burying a section of highway and creating Clyde Warren Park that I feel like we could just take that and and just turn it up to 11. Why don't we do more of that? The city was so invested in building these tunnels for, for people to walk through, but instead of building those tunnels for people to walk through, why not we do it for the cars instead? Then we could turn downtown into one giant Clyde Warren Park. It would help mitigate it would help mitigate the worst of the urban heat island effects. It would bring foot traffic back to a downtown core that could really use it, especially since many large companies are starting to reduce their in-person real estate in favor of more flexible work from home policies. And while I understand that this would be expensive and, and it's slightly unrealistic, I, I would also, but the, the, the question I'm answering here is what would I do if I had full control? <laughs> I'm allowed to dream big. And I think big ideas have a place here to at least get the conversation started. Yeah, I think that might be too big. I, I, I do like this idea of, of sort of driving traffic a little bit underground. And, I've, and we've seen it done. You, you went to the University of Texas at Arlington, and, and I went there very briefly, but I also grew up there. And if anyone is from the area, you know that the university isn't really delineated within the city. For so long, you simply drove along, and all of a sudden, you were in the middle of campus because that's the way the, the city grew. That's the way the university grew. And so sometime, oh gosh, this had to be the late 80s, early 90s, someone got the idea that, well, we're going to drop one of the main thoroughfares down. I don't know how, how far they dropped it, but suddenly... Just as you were getting to the edge of campus, suddenly the street started sloping down and they were able to actually connect both sides of campus together with walkways where the street had been previously. Of course, it keeps a lot of students from getting hit by cars and that's a, a big plus, but it was a great way to to sort of push traffic down and, and be able to sort of connect everything. But for, but for me, that's almost the thing that I think we want to do. It's sort of this smaller scale kind of pocket community sort of thing. And, and Dallas has been doing an, an interesting take on that, I, I think, for the last, well, for probably the last, like I said, 15 years or so. The the first thing that always comes to mind to me, aside from Clyde Warren, and before Clyde Warren, actually, they had taken an entire block of downtown, and I had a friend who lived in one of the buildings there, which is no more. They took and completely scraped this entire block clean and created a sort of a pocket park. So you have this one block that's been turned into this this community park and in a place, like you said, there's not a lot of greenery and sort of alleviates some of the heat sink that you get down there. And it's it's a very popular space. So my thought is doing more of those things to me makes more sense if I had a choice to do it. And, and I would look at not just in the downtown area, but in other areas, one of the, the big events down in... 
in Cedar Springs area in, the, in what we call the neighborhood is every year they they have the big Halloween street party. So there's a block and a half of Cedar Springs that is completely closed off right in front of the bars. And it's just full of people. I mean, it's amazing how many people are out on the street. And that's a ton of fun. So the thought of taking this idea of, of sort of giving back and ceding some space to the community would, would be for me to be able to take and make that either a permanent or an almost permanent reality is, is to sort of close that part of the street. And so when when people are out for the weekend, they have a more secure place to walk again because I cannot tell you the number of people who've been hit crossing crossing Cedar Springs, even, even crossing in the crosswalks. People are still getting hit by cars. So it's an opportunity for us to give some of that space back. Same thing in the Bishop Arts area, which is 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 huge, just south of downtown, that I guess southwest of downtown. But anyway, it has really developed and it has become this very, very pedestrian place. And honestly, you could use closing off some of those streets to really allow people to move around a little more freely because because it has become so popular. So for me, I, I think I think going that route, that smaller route, as as much as it would be great to do is sort of this giant, giant push. And 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 of course, uh, we were talking earlier, Clyde Warren Park was such a big thing. They are now in the process of duplicating something like that, or duplicating it, I guess, creating a, a similar space in South Dallas over uh, Interstate 35, where they've been doing all this work, widening the freeway. They've actually started dropping the freeway down quite a bit because there's the intention of building a second park like Clyde Warren, but in South Dallas adjacent to the city zoo. So, so yeah, I, I think there are, are definite definite opportunities to do something on a bigger scale like, like you would want to do, Matthew. But, but for me, I think it would have to be something I, I think it'd be more fun to try to get within smaller neighborhoods and see much like New York did within the boroughs and see how do we create a, a better space, a better space for people there, but on, on a much smaller scale. But yeah. So, so I will say that it really has this pandemic, I think has made people much more aware of being on the street and what that really means and taking the opportunity to walk around and have the space to walk around and sort of the space to spread out. And and really sort of sort of enjoy what's there without having to worry about the cars and the traffic and all that sort of noise. So that's kind of where kind of where we are. What we wanted to talk about because things are starting to loosen up here. Kind of, we think um, Texas has decided that businesses are open 100. percent Don't necessarily agree with that, but it would be great if as we continue to move forward, we still do. We still are mindful of the streets and we still are mindful of people's need for space. Yeah. And with that, I think we're going to wrap it up. You can always find us on social media. Uh, our website is architecturegeeks.com and you can find us on Instagram at archgeekspodcast. And Larry, I know you're all over social media. Yeah. I, I'm, my stink is kind of everywhere. Uh, you can you can always email me Larry at spotteddogarchitecture.com, but you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at spotteddogarch. There's also my Facebook page, Spotted Dog Architecture. So anytime you need to get in touch with me, feel free to reach out. You can uh, direct message me or just email me. Either way, but thank you guys for listening once again. 
We hope you are all doing well and are hopefully in line to get your shot so that we can all start hanging out again together in public and uh, hopefully enjoying some of the park space and some of the street space. In the meantime, you guys have a great weekend, and we will talk with you next time about unique hotel stays and uh, maybe give you an idea about where to go when you can start traveling again. Talk with you soon. Bye. Bye.